Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question is, how can one tell the difference between a psychopath and a narcissist? So this is kind of a complex question because these constructs are complex. So I'm going to start by defining both of the terms. So when we use the term psychopath, we're talking about someone who has trait psychopathy. And when we use the term narcissist, we're talking about someone who has trait narcissism. Neither one of these constructs is automatically indicative of pathology. So what I mean by that is if somebody has psychopathy, that doesn't mean they have a mental disorder. If somebody has narcissism, that doesn't mean they have a mental disorder. Mental disorders are classifications we see in places like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, but they don't necessarily relate to traits, like certain traits that cluster together that we would call psychopathy or we would call narcissism. So psychopathy has two main parts to it, two main types, and narcissism does as well. So with psychopathy, we see there's both primary and secondary psychopathy. Sometimes these are called factor one and factor two psychopathy. And what makes this more confusing is sometimes factor one psychopathy is called psychopathy and factor two psychopathy is called sociopathy. So that's where we get the words psychopath and sociopath. A psychopath would be someone who has factor one psychopathy and a sociopath would be someone who has factor two psychopathy. Now, sometimes when we hear these terms, we think of the mental disorder, antisocial personality disorder. Again, this is a separate construct. But of the two, sociopathy, factor two psychopathy, has a much stronger relationship with antisocial personality disorder than does factor one psychopathy or primary psychopathy. So here, when I talk about someone who's a psychopath, I'm mostly talking about, of course, factor one psychopathy, primary psychopathy. Now, when we talk about narcissism, again, as I mentioned, there's two constructs here, two types of narcissism. We have grandiose and we have vulnerable. Now, grandiose narcissism lines up fairly well with the mental disorder, narcissistic personality disorder. But again, that doesn't mean they're the same thing. And here I'll really be mostly referring to grandiose narcissism and a little bit to vulnerable narcissism. So real quickly here, I'll go through some of the traits we see with all four of these constructs, and I'll start getting into some of the areas of overlap and how we can tell 
the two apart, the two main constructs apart. So I'll start with psychopathy and then move to narcissism. So with primary psychopathy, and again, this is what I'm mostly talking about here when I talk about the word psychopath, we see characteristics like being callous, unemotional, pathological lying, being manipulative, and being bold. We call this fearless dominance. With factor two psychopathy, we see characteristics like being irresponsible, being impulsive, having a need for stimulation, and being involved in activities that could result in arrest. Moving over to narcissism, we talk about grandiose narcissism. We see a grandiose sense of self-importance. We see someone who has a lot of fantasies of success and power. They tend to be jealous, have a sense of entitlement, be arrogant, and try to manipulate people. With vulnerable narcissism, we see some of the same characteristics, but it's really a different expression of narcissism. It tends to be an expression that involves more insecurity, hypersensitivity to criticism, shame, guilt, and sadness. So moving back to this comparison between the psychopath and the narcissist, it's important to recognize that there's a lot of overlap between these constructs. There's actually quite a bit of overlap. And many people who have traits from psychopathy would have traits from narcissism. And the opposite is true as well. So it makes distinguishing these two sets of traits very difficult. With all the overlap and all of the co-occurrence, this is when the traits appear at the same time in the same person. It just gets very tough to distinguish them. So in order to distinguish them, I'm going to look at this in terms of three ways. I'm going to talk about features of narcissism that I would not expect to see normally in psychopathy. And then features of psychopathy I wouldn't expect to see normally in narcissism. And then I'm going to talk about features that appear in both. And of course, there's a lot of features here. There are a lot of features that appear in both, but how they can sometimes manifest differently. And this is where it gets really challenging, but also I think this is the best way to tell them apart is to really look at the areas of similarity and see how those areas manifest differently. If you just look at traits that you wouldn't expect to see in the other, that's a little bit simplistic and doesn't give you a good idea clinically of how to distinguish these different traits. So first I'll start with the features of narcissism that I wouldn't expect to see with psychopathy. Again, keep in mind there's a lot of overlap and it's not unusual to see the same traits in both psychopaths and narcissists. So the first trait I wouldn't expect to see in psychopathy that we see with narcissism would be envy. Envy is one of those characteristics that's much more strongly associated with narcissism because it has an emotional component. And with psychopathy, we don't see much of an emotional component. Jealousy is really a feeling. The next one is a need for admiration. I think this is a fairly good way to distinguish the two. Somebody with narcissism has this need for excessive admiration. And some of the psychopathy, that's really not as important to them. We don't see a lot of emphasis on, again, relational, emotional, and affective aspects. So aspects dealing with feelings. With narcissism, we see someone believes that they're special or unique. We see some of this in psychopathy, but again, it's not as pronounced. We also see with narcissism an expectation of loyalty from other people and believing other people should do them special favors. We call this a sense of entitlement. We see this a little bit with psychopathy, but again, much more pronounced in narcissism. The next characteristic is arrogance. This is much stronger in narcissism than it is in psychopathy. And I think one of the reasons that this is an area that's viewed as overlapping a lot 
is because some of the callous, unemotional attitudes we see with psychopathy can appear arrogant. But with narcissism, we have arrogance really in a truer sense of the word. We see someone who's condescending, pretentious, haughty, and supercilious, and we don't really necessarily see that with psychopathy. Now, the last area that we see with narcissism and probably would not see with psychopathy is actually from vulnerable narcissism. And this is that hypersensitivity to criticism element I talked about before. Individuals who have vulnerable narcissism or covert narcissism as opposed to grandiose or overt tend to be hypersensitive. They tend not to like criticism. Somebody who's psychopathic doesn't usually worry too much about criticism. That's not a factor that really hits them hard typically. Again, it's relational and emotional, and that's not an area where they're really paying a lot of attention normally. Now, in talking about the features of psychopathy that I wouldn't expect to see in narcissism, the first one would be not being sensitive to punishment. Individuals who are psychopathic are not sensitive to punishment. That doesn't mean that punishment won't deter them from some criminal acts or some bad acts. But in general, we view that they're very resistant to worrying about punishment. So that is a trait that more or less facilitates criminal activity. But with narcissism, we see that people are aware of punishment and generally want to avoid punishment. The next feature of psychopathy would be low neuroticism or low negative emotions. So not being depressed and not being anxious and not having other negative emotions. This is somebody who also doesn't panic very easily, low neuroticism. Now with narcissism, we don't see that. We usually see mid-range neuroticism and even high neuroticism. So this is an area that distinguishes the two, I think fairly reliably. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. The next area here is being unemotional. This includes unemotional decision-making. We see this with psychopathy. We don't really see this with narcissism. 
Sometimes people look at a narcissist and say that they're unemotional, but emotions are part of the narcissistic personality profile. They're not really part of psychopathy. Another area is lack of guilt. We tend to see this with psychopathy, not as much with narcissism. And again, I think this gets confused with lack of empathy. So people will say, well, a narcissist, they don't have guilt because they lack empathy. Guilt is a different construct. So we do actually see a fair amount of guilt with narcissism. Again, very little with psychopathy. And the last area here that I'd expect to see with psychopathy, but not with narcissism, would be this ability to be cold and calculating. Now, again, there's overlap. So we do see this characteristic with both traits, but it's much stronger with psychopathy, especially when we consider psychopaths who commit serious criminal acts. They're really quite cold and calculating and can harm people without really having much of an emotional response. I would not normally expect to see that with just trait narcissism. So that brings me to the last area to distinguish psychopaths from narcissists, and that would be features that appear in both but manifest differently. So if we look at some of the overlap areas, I'm going to go through and talk about them and just how they might appear a little bit differently from one trait to the other. And sometimes the differences are really quite subtle. Now, the first one is grandiosity. We see grandiosity in both psychopathy and narcissism, but really it's a combination of factors. It's the first symptom criterion in narcissistic personality disorder, but I view it as really a composite of other symptom criteria. So grandiosity can be a bit murky, but I generally think we see more grandiosity with narcissism and more facets of grandiosity, more of an expression of entitlement and envy and requiring excessive admiration, which I all think kind of feed into that grandiosity. That's, in my opinion, more pronounced with narcissism. Now, the next area is fantasies of success, wealth, power. So some people say, well, this is really something that's unique to narcissism, and it doesn't really have a large role in psychopathy. But I disagree. I think that actually fantasies of power and success are something we see with both psychopaths and narcissists. So to illustrate this difference, this difference in how fantasies are expressed, I'm going to use an example based on an old movie. So this old movie uh, that came out in 1980 called Airplane, and the title is Airplane with an exclamation mark. So you don't see many titles of movies that have exclamation marks. Now, I thought it was a pretty funny movie, arguably one of the most humorous movies, certainly of the time. And the basic plot of the movie was that there was this airliner and the pilots became incapacitated and one of the passengers had to attempt to land the plane. So consider this as the start of a fantasy. So you have somebody who's psychopathic and somebody who's narcissistic and you give them that setup, the setup from the movie Airplane. And you say, look, the pilots have become incapacitated and you're called upon now to attempt to land the plane. And they have a fantasy. They each have a fantasy about how this would turn out. Now, they wouldn't necessarily tell you that fantasy, but let's pretend that you would know what it is, that you could somehow read their minds and you could know what the fantasy was and how it played out. So with narcissism, I think the fantasy would be fairly pro-social. I think in the narcissistic fantasy, the passenger, the narcissist, would go into the cockpit. They would take control of the plane very confidently. They would communicate in kind of a condescending way with the tower, suggesting that 
there's more difficulties with the airplane than the tower is recognizing, and it's more of a challenge than the tower is really saying it is, kind of setting up an antagonistic relationship with the people in the tower. And again, noticing or pretending that the plane is also damaged in some way. So not just that they have to land the plane, which would be hard enough, but there's this extra hurdle that they're really doing something incredibly extraordinary instead of just extraordinary. And I think most of the time their fantasy would conclude with them successfully landing the plane under tough conditions, under conditions where they had to do something different than what they were instructed to do, which makes them kind of more of a hero because they recognize something that, again, the people in the tower couldn't see. And they save the lives of all the passengers. And of course, the pilots get medical attention and they're okay. So I think with narcissism, the outcome would be, the fantasy would be, again, very pro-social and everybody was fine. It was a good outcome and they overcame something really amazing to have that outcome. And the reason that I think this fantasy is more consistent with narcissism is because it really feeds into the narcissistic mentality. They're going to get a lot of admiration. They're going to be thought of as special or unique. They're probably going to be able to feed that sense of entitlement because people will want to interview them. People will want to pay them to endorse products. All kinds of good things would probably happen to somebody who could be so heroic. Now, what about the psychopath? What about somebody who has psychopathic tendencies? Well, I think there's a few different directions that this scenario could go. I think one scenario could be, and again, this is a fantasy, so it's going to break from reality quite a bit. I think one fantasy could be that the psychopath takes all the money and all the jewelry from the passengers and exits the plane and the plane crashes. So they get all the money and there's really no witnesses of what happened. Now, again, I know it's not really feasible to jump out of a commercial jetliner, but I think that would be something that could be part of a psychopathic fantasy. I think another fantasy, though, could be that they go into the cockpit and they take control of the plane. They don't have any other problems they invent. They're very calculating. They move through all the steps. They land the plane successfully, and they're thinking the whole time about how they're going to be rewarded, how they're going to get money, not so much fame, but money and maybe even uh, people having some sort of romantic interest in them. So again, really focused on pleasure. So when we look at something like this, kind of this silly example from the movie, I think we see a different expression of narcissism and psychopathy in that fantasy symptom or sign. So moving down the list to the next area of overlap, this would be manipulation. And I think this is an area where people would say it's almost identical. The manipulation is the same from narcissism to psychopathy. And I would disagree. I think if we look at the manipulation for narcissism, this is much more emotionally based, like trying to make somebody feel sorry for them. It has an interpersonal component to it, as we see in the symptom criterion for narcissistic personality disorder. I think with psychopathy, it's much simpler. It's to gain something, again, material. So just like the fantasy, the end of it here for psychopathy would be what type of material gain or pleasure could they obtain from manipulation? So we think of a manipulation with narcissism being, again, about feelings and getting people to feel a certain way, and with psychopathy, getting something material. The next area would be a lack of empathy. And this is one area where I do think the expressions of lack of empathy or callousness are very similar from a narcissist over to 
a psychopath. I don't really see many major differences. There are some subtle differences, but essentially I view these as similar. Both narcissists and psychopaths have a capacity for empathy, but both don't use it because they rank empathy as not important. They rank other people's feelings as not important. So again, mostly the same. The same thing I'd say for superficial charm. The expressions are similar from narcissist to psychopaths. Now, how about dominance, fearless dominance or social dominance? Well, I think this is really the key difference. I think for narcissism, it is social dominance. It's coming into a situation like a meeting at a workplace and trying to take charge socially, not physically, not really trying to harm anybody. But with psychopaths, it would be more of a fearless dominance. It would include potentially a willingness to be involved in a physical confrontation. So if someone's purely narcissistic and they try to be dominant and they're confronted, in many cases, they would back down. Not always, because again, there's a lot of overlap between narcissism and psychopathy. But in many cases, the general tendency would be to back down. They're only looking to be socially dominant. If the same challenge was made to somebody who is primarily psychopathic, a lot of times they would engage. They would engage in aggression. So the fearless dominance there isn't really hiding some other emotion. They really are willing to follow through and attempt to be dominant. Now, the last area I'll cover here, features that appear in both but manifest differently, will be pathological lying. And I think this really follows the same theme that I've used for all these other characteristics. With narcissism, the point of the pathological lying is to inflate someone's ego. The lies are unnecessary in terms of material gain. So somebody's saying how they know a bunch of famous people, how they used to be famous or they are famous, how they're destined for greatness, all of which, of course, could be lies or oftentimes would be lies. And they're really, again, unnecessary lies. They don't seem to achieve anything in the material world but they're really done so that somebody can inflate their ego or self-esteem so they can feel better about themselves. Again, with narcissists, we think they're trying to protect a fragile sense of self and pathological lying can help do that. With psychopathy, there is no fragile sense of self. At least that's not how we usually conceptualize it. So the lying is for a clear material purpose. It's to get something they desire, they want, they need, or some type of pleasure like material gain, or as I mentioned, like romantic interest or attraction. So it's really, I think, very easy to define in a concrete way with psychopathy. The goal is clear. And with narcissism, it has more to do with their psyche, with their ego. So those are just some ideas, some potential ways that in certain circumstances might help to differentiate psychopaths from narcissists. Of course, the only way to really have a solid idea is to go to a licensed and qualified counselor. And they really have the training that helps them to distinguish these complex personality traits, especially when you consider co-occurrences and comorbidity. So co-occurrences with other personality traits and comorbidity with other disorders. It can become extremely complicated very quickly. But again, just a rough idea of some of the things that I've noticed that are helpful ways to differentiate them to some extent. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, 
please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.